Hello, I'm Fenella Saunders, Managing Editor of American Scientist, the magazine of Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. In 2012, Dennis Meredith was inducted as an honorary life member of Sigma Xi. Dennis, a renowned science communicator whose service has included major research universities, sat down to talk with us about teaching scientists to communicate better stories. The first question I'd like to ask, what do you think is the biggest problem for scientists in having them communicate science? What's the biggest hurdle? Well, the biggest hurdle now, I think, is that they don't realize that communicating science to broad audiences, to the media and to the public information officers in their institution, reaches audiences that that are very important for their careers, including donors and, and legislators and administrators in their own institutions and their colleagues in other, in other fields. So just that realization, I think, is lacking, and that re- reduces the inclination of them to communicate. When you were talking, you said that one of the problems that scientists has is they have this tendency not to want to sort of introduce emotion into their discussions. Why do you think they have that feeling, and what do you think you, we can do to help them overcome it? It is part of the culture, uh, because when a scientific article comes out, it looks as if they did the experiment right the first time, and there were never any problems, and there were never any frustrations, and so forth. But unfortunately, that makes science seem so dry and boring. They should realize that by explaining how their emotions came into it, when they were disappointed, when they were excited, when they were surprised, it makes science more real, and it makes it more compelling and more interesting. One of the other uh, factors that we've been discussing is the rise of multimedia uh, in scientific discussions and the fact that some papers now have quite large multimedia components to them when they're posted online. Can you talk about how scientists can go about creating better visuals to go with their work? If they're at all concerned about their own abilities to create multimedia, they can start by uh, engaging professionals to come in. And there are a lot of professionals out there, video producers and so forth, who can help them. And that gives them a good start and they'll get more comfortable with it. Actually, a lot of the tools uh, are free, first of all, and secondly, they're very easy to use. So it doesn't cost the scientists anything to fiddle around with it and get a sense of how, how to use it and then to eventually apply it. Can you also talk about the importance of metaphors when scientists are preparing to talk about their work? Well, metaphors serve to engage audiences, and they they also serve to engage professional audiences, not just lay audiences. My favorite example was the artificial dog. Some veterinary researchers had developed a chamber for growing fleas, and they wanted to call it a flea condo. But it had a lot of the characteristics of a dog, and I said, well, why don't you call it an artificial dog? And they resisted this at first because it, it seemed flippant. But once they, they used the term, it got enormous attention from the media. It got enormous attention from investors. And so they ended up patenting it as an artificial dog. So these kinds of, of similes and metaphors serve to attract audiences that they are interested in attracting. How do you think that a scientist can go about preparing to talk to the media in a way that will make them feel comfortable and more engaging to their audiences? Well, first of all, they they should write down the points that they want to make. 
and they should test them on their colleagues and, and make sure the points that are appropriate and well phrased, and then they should prepare their quotes. Scientists say, well, a quote is something that I just said, right? But it can be something that they've thought about very carefully and crafted so that it gets the point across that they want to get across. So those kinds of preparations make them more comfortable talking to the media because they know exactly what they're going to say. Often when a science journalist will speak to a scientist, they'll ask some leading questions to try to get out of the scientist what it is they want to know for their interview. Sort of the, how did you come up with this kind of questions? And they're looking for a good lead. But how would you advise a science journalist to go about speaking to a scientist that will make them comfortable and give you the good quotes? Well, what you do is you simply ask, you know, how things felt, what they looked like what they sounded like, try to get that sort of information. What did you feel like at the time? I remember one time I was talking to one of the top computer designers in the world, and he was going to develop a supercomputer. And I was too dumb to ask him the obvious question, how big is it? And I asked that at the end of the interview, and he said, oh, it's about the size of a bread box. Boy, that's, that's your lead. So just ask questions about what things looked like, felt like, sounded like. Another point that you brought up was the fact that administrative personnel at institutions can sometimes hinder the best story. How would you help scientists think about how to get around those obstacles? They have to understand the the administrative culture. There are some institutions that have a culture of of explanation and, and others that don't. You can get around it by simply modulating your communication according to what that culture is. For example, if the culture is very understanding of vivid and compelling communications, you can do that. If they're not, then you can still communicate clearly and effectively, but just try to keep it as more low-key so that it meets that cultural expectation. What do you think are the best ways for scientists to make their constituents and their colleagues realize that communicating with the public is useful and worthwhile to them? I would illustrate to them how lay-level communications has aided their career. Uh, For example, a news release that went out went to a donor, and that donor got back to them and said, you know, I'm interested in your work. How it got into the media, and they got a a call from a potential collaborator. Those are the kinds of uh, advantages that show up all the time. Thanks so much for joining us, Dennis. We really appreciate your time. You're very welcome, Fenella. I was glad to be here. This Pizza Lunch podcast was produced by Katie Lee Lubinsky, web managing editor of Sigma Xi and American Scientist. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. Thanks for listening.